Welcome in the Great Khan's Tent. History, Literature and Storytelling In the Great Khan's Tent is now available on YouTube. You can find us using this podcast name. Fear not, listeners, episodes will still be released on this podcast first, and it is only after a delay of a week that I will upload them onto YouTube. You can still find us on all your podcast providers first. Are you interested in getting the book you just published reviewed? Writing some piece of literature and need help getting it out there and promoted? Interested in sharing what piece of literature we should cover next? Well, fret not. In the Great Khan's Tent is now available on Patreon, where your contribution can help in growing this podcast. For as low as $3 a month, a price less than a good, and I mean good, cup of coffee, you can help contribute to the growth of this podcast. Every bit helps, but as always, it is not necessary to do so, but will be appreciated. Find the Patreon link on our website, on our social media accounts, or email us and we can send it to you. Thank you. If you have any suggestions, comments, or complaints, please be sure to email us at all lowercase in the great Hans tent at gmail.com. That is in the great Hans tent at gmail.com. We would love to hear from our listeners. Thank you for listening, and now on with the show. In this episode, we continue with the story of Sarin Khan and the archer, the Kalmak Mongol tale. In the last episode, we met the anonymous archer who spotted three golden cranes who turned into beautiful ladies. He hid the feathers of one and gave them back to her. As a result, they married, but his wife drew the attention of his Khan, Sarkhan Khan. Wanting the archer's wife for himself, he sent the archer to get the milk of the tigress, feigning to be sick in the hopes that he would be killed and thus be able to take his wife. He survived, however, and Sarin Khan then decided to send him to search out no one knows what in no one knows where. As we continue the story, take notice of various magical items that are being used to accomplish his goals. The string used to meet his wife's sisters, Murza, the mystical item that provides an entire meal, the Kadak which creates a palace, and the golden stick which summons an army of mounted warriors or archers depending on which end is hit on the ground all of which he uses to accomplish his goals of getting no one knows what and returning home. This is clearly a tale with a message on morality, lying, and what happens when a Khan does not act like a Khan. In the next episode, we will continue with our 1001 Nights. Who are you, and where do you come from, and where are you going? She asked him. I am the Khan's archer, the archer replied, and I am going, no one knows where, to seek, no one knows what. The little woman asked the archer nothing more. She put food before him, and then sent him to bed, and the archer fell asleep the moment he lay down. In the morning he rose, 
washed and began combing his hair with the golden comb, and a little woman, mistress of the little Kibitka, saw him and asked, Where did you get that golden comb? My wife gave it to me, the archer replied. The little woman was overjoyed. If that is so, then you are my kinsman, she said, for your wife is my younger sister. Why did you not tell me about it yesterday? And placing food and drink before him, she said, Give your weary feet a rest after so long and hard a journey, and stay with me for three more days. The archer gladly agreed and stayed in the little woman's kibitka for another three days. On the third day, when the archer had rested, the little woman said to him, Now tell me where you are going and why. Said the archer, My Khan is gravely ill, and he has ordered me to go. No one knows where, and bring him no one knows what. What that is I do not know. My wife, who is your younger sister, gave me a ball of thread, and told me to follow it, and it led me to you. But where I am to go now I do not know, for the ball of thread has vanished. At this the little woman, mistress of the little Kibitka, gave the archer a ball of silken thread and said, Follow this ball of thread, and it will take you to my elder sister's house. Perhaps she can tell you where you must go. So the archer set off again after the ball of silken thread. Day after day he walked, and night after night, and he never stopped for a rest. He left the great dark forest behind him, and walked across a steppe, and after thirty days and thirty nights, reached another forest, as large and dark as the first. The ball of thread wound in and out among the trees and bushes, and the branches scratched the archer's hands and body and struck him in the face, but he went on and on and never stopped. Many days passed, and the ball of thread rolled up to the entrance of a tiny little kibitka of felt standing in the middle of the forest and vanished. A tiny little woman who was very, very beautiful of the kibitka. Who are you and where do you come from and where are you going? She asked. I am the Khan's archer, the archer replied, and I am going, no one knows where, to seek no one knows what. The tiny little woman, mistress of the tiny little kibitka, asked archer nothing more, but invited him to come in, gave him food and drink, and put him to bed. In the morning, the archer rose, washed, and began combing his hair with the golden comb. The tiny little woman, mistress of the tiny little kibitka, saw him and asked, Where did you get that golden comb? My wife gave it to me, the archer replied. The tiny little woman's face brightened with pleasure. In that case, you are my kinsman, for your wife is my youngest sister. Why did you not tell me about it before? And she brought out all she had in the house, the best foods and the best drinks, and began to regale the archer. Said she, when he had his fill, you must give yourself a good long rest, stay with me for a time. So the archer spent three days and three nights in the tiny little woman's kibitka, and on the fourth day she asked him to tell her where he was going and why. Do not hide anything from me, she said. The archer told the tiny little woman all about everything, and the tiny little woman listened to his story, shook her head and said, I cannot help you myself, but I shall ask my helpers and perhaps they will. 
and she took her golden horn, went outside, and blew a loud blast. There sounded one hundred and eight sad notes and sixty-two gay ones, and at once the wild beasts of the steppe and of the forest, the birds of the sky, and the worms from under the ground gathered before the tiny little woman, mistress of the tiny little kibitka, and waited for her to speak. Said the tiny little woman, Beast and birds and worms, you who go everywhere, who know all and hear all, does anyone among you know where that is found which has no shape or form? Let him who does come forward and say, I know, and let him who does not say, I do not know, and then all of you can go back to where you came from. Said the birds, we do not know, and at once flew away. Said the beasts, we do not know, and at once ran away. Said the worms, we do not know, and at once crawled away. Then the tiny little woman picked up her horn and blew another blast. There sounded one hundred and eight sad notes and sixty-two gay ones, and all the creatures living in the water gathered around her, fishes and turtles and frogs and snakes and crayfish. Said the tiny little woman, mistress of the tiny little kibitka, snakes and fishes, you who go everywhere, you who know all and hear all, answer me. Does anyone among you know where that is found which has no shape or form? Let him who does come forward and say, I know, and let him who does not say, I do not know. And then all of you can go back to where you came from. We do not know, we do not know, we do not know, cried the fishes, the turtles, the snakes, the frogs, and the crayfish, and they went back to their lakes, rivers, and swamps. Only one large crayfish stayed where he was. Seeing the large crayfish was undecided as to what he should do, the tiny little woman, mistress of the tiny little kibitka, said, you are the Khan of the crayfish, are you not? I am, the crayfish replied. What is it you know? What is it you have heard? What is it you wish to say? Be it true or false, speak just the same, said the crayfish. I am not sure that what I am about to say is true. That as it may be, but say it, you must just the same. The tiny little woman, mistress of the tiny little Kibitka insisted. Well then, the crayfish began, let him who seeks that which has no shape or form travel south for a month until he reaches the sea. If he finds that he is unable to cross it, let him turn west, and after traveling for another month, he will get to a ford. When he has crossed the sea and reached the opposite shore, he will come upon a wide road that leads south again. If he follows it for a month, he will come to a great dense forest with a two-wheeled track running across it. Where the track ends, there the way ends. What lies beyond, I do not know. And with this, the crayfish crawled away. Well, brave archer, did you hear what the Khan of the crayfish said? The tiny little woman asked. I did, replied the archer. In that case, you can start on your way and perhaps you will find what you are looking for. From now on, you will have to fend for yourself. She gave the archer food and helped him get ready, and after taking leave of her, he set off on his journey.
On and on he walked, day after day, and he never stopped. It was not till a month had passed that he at last reached the sea. He looked at it, and seeing that he would never be able to cross it, turned west. After walking along the shore for a month, he came to the ford, crossed the sea, found the road on the opposite shore, and followed it for another month. Here, lying to the east of him, he saw a great dense forest and turned towards it, but he had to walk for another three days and three nights before he finally reached it. He entered the forest and saw the two-wheel track which he had been following winding in and out among the trees. He went along it and after some hours came to a thicket. Here the track vanished and the archer began working his way through the thicket. The trees there were tall and dark and they covered the sky with their branches so that not a ray of sun or a gleam of light came through. Seeing no path anywhere, the archer stopped. What am I going to do, he asked himself. I have come too far to go back now. He looked around him carefully and saw that there was a hole in the ground just in front of him. He climbed down the hole and finding himself in an underground passage, began groping his way along it. On and on he went until he came to a small house. He went inside and looked about him, but there was no one there. He listened, but not a sound did he hear, and yet he could see that the place was not deserted and that someone lived there. I don't know who lives here, said the archer to himself, but I must be careful. And seeing a deep niche in the wall, he crawled into it and at once fell fast asleep. The clatter of cartwheels woke him, and so loud was the sound that he knew the cart was no ordinary cart. So he hid himself as best he could and lay there, quiet as a mouse. The cart came to a halt at the door of the house, and a young giant stepped inside. He was clad in rich garments, and costly weapons hung at his belt. The giant removed his weapons and hung them on the wall and then he took off his garments and hung them on the opposite wall. After that he sat down in a cross-legged fashion and said, Come, Mirza, I am hungry. No sooner were the words out of his mouth than a flowered cloth unrolled before him, and on it appeared the finest of foods and drinks, everything, in fact, to please the palate and cheer the heart. The giant had his fill of the food and the drink, and then he said, Come, Mirza, take it away. And at once the flowered cloth with all its plates, jugs, and cups vanished as if into thin air. The giant donned his garments, took his weapons, and left the house. And at once there came the grumble and clatter of cartwheels that died away in the distance. The giant had gone. The archer crawled out of his hiding place and looked around him but he saw nothing and no one. He stood there wondering, and he said to himself, Who could the giant have been, and who was it that served him all those fine dishes? I think I shall try and do all that he did. The archer then removed his weapons and hung them on their hook the giant had used, and he took off his garments and hung them on the second hook, and then he sat down on the felt mat and said, Come, Mirza, I am hungry. At once a flowered cloth unrolled before him, 
laden with the choicest foods and the finest drinks. The archer ate and drank and said, Where are you, Mirza? Come sit down and eat and drink your fill. At this Mirza appeared at once, sat down and began to eat, and when he had finished, he said, For thirty holy years I have served food and drink to the giant, and not once did he invite me to eat or drink with him. Not so you. I served you only once, and you thought of me and invited me to partake of your repast. I shall be better off with you. Take me with you. Gladly, the archer replied, it must be you I came and searched for and found so unexpectedly. From this day on I shall be yours and will follow you everywhere, the Mirza declared. They came out of the house and went along together, Mirza keeping always at the archer's side, but remaining invisible to all eyes. Whether they were long on their way or not, no one knows, but suddenly there was a loud clatter of wheels. Said the Mirza to the archer, That is my former master, riding his eight black horses. He must be hungry and will call on me to serve him, but there will be nobody to answer his call. They went on and late in the evening reached a lonely and desolate spot. An old kibitka stood there, its covering of felt worn and full of holes. The archer went inside and found there a deanchi, a hermit who was so absorbed in prayers that he seemed not to notice that he was no longer alone. Almost venerable deanchi, the archer said, there is something I wish to ask of you. Allow me to spend the night in your kibitka. The Dayanchi interrupted his prayers and said, No man has appeared in these parts before. Where do you come from and where are you going? I have traveled to distant lands and now I am on my way home again, the archer replied. Said the Dayanchi, You are welcome to spend the night here, but I have no food to offer you and no tea, nothing at all. I have not so much as a pot or a tripod in my kibitka. I do not want anything, the archer replied. All I need is a place to spend the night. Well then, you may stay, said the Deanchi, and prostrating himself on the floor, began to pray again. But just before going to bed, he took out some wild raspberries and dried soles and began eating them. I dare not offer you such poor fare, he said to the archer, and there is not enough of it besides. I have little time to gather fruit, for I must devote myself to prayer. This left the archer unmoved. You eat your food, he said, and I will eat mine. And he called loudly, Come, Mirza, I am hungry. No sooner were the words out of his mouth than a flowered cloth unrolled before him, set with plates of food and jugs of kumis, with all in short to please the palate and cheer the heart. The archer seated himself before it and said to the Dayanchi, Well now, most venerable Dayanchi, why do you not join me and try some of my food? The Dayanchi sat down beside the archer and began to eat and to praise what he ate, and the archer called Mirza and invited him too to take part of the food. When they all had their fill, they rose, and the archer said, Take it away, Murza, and at once all that had been on the flowered cloth, as well as the cloth itself, vanished. 
the Dianchi, who was well pleased with the dainty foods he had eaten, began pleading with the archer to trade with him. Do please give me this Mirza of yours with his magic cloth, my brave archer, he begged. You shall have something very fine in return. Oh no, the archer replied. I would not trade Mirza for anything. I need him myself. But the Dayanchi would not be put off and went on pleading with the archer all night long. I will give you something even more wonderful than your Mirza in exchange for him, archer, said he. What can you give me? The archer asked. I will show you, said the Dayanchi, and he took out a kadak, a long silken kerchief, and told the archer to come outside with him. The archer did so, and the Dayanchi waved the kadak and said, Stand before me. In the same instance, a magnificent palace, its roof nearly touching the sky, appeared before them. Its beauty was such as had never been seen. It was ornamented with silver and gold and studded with coral, pearls, and precious stones, and was more rich than the palaces of the richest khans. Said the Dayanchi to the archer, You are young, brave archer, and you will have need of the palace. As for me, all I want is something to please the palate. So take my kadak, my magic kerchief, and let me have Mirza with his flowered cloth. But plead as the Dayanchi might, the archer would not agree. No, no, said he, I cannot give up my Murza. But the Murza whispered in his ear, Trade with him, the palace shall be yours, and I will be yours too, you will see. And the archer did as Murza said, and he agreed to trade with the Dayanchi. The Dayanchi then waved his magic kerchief and said, Vanish, and at once the palace disappeared. And the archer took the kerchief from him and said, Now Mirza is yours. And saying goodbye to the Dianchi, he went on his way. He reached a mountain pass, skirted it, and said to himself, I acted rashly. I should not have made the exchange. Now I have this magnificent palace, but no Mirza. Where is he, and what is he doing now, I wonder? All of a sudden, what did he hear but Mirza's own voice saying, do not grieve, brave archer, I am at your side, never will I part with you. What about the Dayanchi? the archer asked. Let him pray, Mirza replied, I will not be a servant of his. The archer was overjoyed and went on. At times he would walk and at others he would run, so eager was he to get back home to his young and beautiful wife. On and on he went without stopping, never counting the passing days and nights till at last he reached the sea. If I am to go all around the sea, he said to himself, I shall have to travel for another month, but perhaps I will meet some boatmen here. He went along the seashore, and what did he see but a large ship at anchor? There were many warriors on board, and they were all waiting to sail across. The archer came close and said, I come from far, far away, brave warriors. Do me a kindness, take me with you to the opposite shore, said the chief of the warriors. Very well, come on board. The archer boarded the ship, and he and the warriors set sail together. After a time, the warriors grew hungry and they sat down and began to eat. Said the archer, 
Won't you give me something to eat too? A fine way to behave, the warriors cried. We let you on board, and now you want us to feed you into the bargain. And we each of us are allowed only so much food and no more, and cannot share it with anyone, said the archer. Your food is portioned out to you, but mine is not. If I so desire, I can feed you all, and there will still be enough left for as many more. The warriors were stung to the quick. Braggart, liar, they cried in angry tones, and they went and told their chief about the archer's boast. The chief at once called the archer and said to him, I hear you have been bragging that you can feed all my warriors at once. I was only telling the truth, the archer replied. If that is so, then do it, and we shall believe that you are a man of truth. But should your words prove false, do not expect mercy. We shall tie a stone around your neck and throw you overboard. Very well, said the archer. I will prove to you that I spoke truly. Sit down, all of you, in two rows, but mind you leave a wide passage between them. The warriors did as the archer asked. They seated themselves in two rows, and so many were they that the rows stretched from one end of the ship to the other. Come, Murza, the archer said. These warriors are hungry. Feed them well. And the same instant a flowered cloth set with all kinds of foods and drinks unrolled before the warriors. The warriors ate and drank their fill, but there still remained enough food and drink to feed as many more. Have you had enough? the archer asked. Yes, the warriors cried. Good, said the archer. Come, Murza, take it away. And the same instant everything vanished, the cloth and the plates, the jugs and the cups. The warriors opened their mouths in astonishment. Never have we seen anything so wonderful, said they, and they began whispering to each other and trying to think of how to get Murza and his magic cloth for themselves. Sell him to us, said they to the archer. Oh no, replied the archer, he is not for sale. And no matter how hard they pleaded, and how much gold they offered, they could not persuade the archer to do as they asked. If you do not want to sell him, said they, then let us trade. We will give you something no less wonderful in return. What can you give me, the archer asked. Nothing can be more precious to me than my murza. The warriors brought out a gold stick, one end of it thin and the other thick, showed it to the archer and said, We will give you this stick. It is a magic stick. If you strike the ground with the thick end, mounted warriors without count or number will appear, each of them clad in shining armor and bearing a sword of steel. And if you strike at the ground with the thin end, Archers without count or number will appear, each one armed with a bow and arrow. Seeing the magic stick, Mirza moved close to the archer. Trade with them, do, brave archer, said he in a whisper. The stick will be yours, and I will be yours too. And the archer did as Mirza said and traded with the warriors, exchanging him for the golden stick. Soon afterwards, they reached the opposite shore and left the ship, the warriors going off in one direction and the archer in another. Where can my Mirza be now? he asked himself, but Mirza did not reply and did not appear. 
The archer walked on for another day and another night, and then he said again, Where are you, Mirza, my dear friend? But Mirza did not reply and did not appear. The archer went on, but when another two days and two nights had passed, he again called to his friend, saying, Where are you, Mirza? Answer me. But Mirza did not reply and did not appear. The archer was overcome with grief. He has fooled me after all, said he to himself. I should never have traded with those warriors. The evening of the fifth day came, and the archer said to himself, I think I shall call him one last time. And he cried loudly, Answer me, Mirza, where are you? And all of a sudden, what did he hear but Mirza's own voice saying, Do not grieve, brave archer, your Mirza is here at your side. I came at midday. The archer was overjoyed. He sat down on the ground and said, I am dying of hunger, let us eat quickly. And at once the flowered cloth, set with foods of all kinds, unrolled before them. The archer and Mirza ate their fill and went on. They walked for a long time, and the days and the nights were as one to them. But at last, on the stroke of midnight, they arrived in the realm of Sarin Khan. The archer walked into his kibitka and roused his wife. I have come back, said he. The wife was overjoyed. She rose quickly and made up the fire. Are you in good health, my husband? asked she. And they began telling each other about how they had passed the time in each other's absence. How is the Khan faring? asked the archer. Is he still sick? The Khan has been well all this time, the wife replied. He visited me three times to try and persuade me to become his wife. But each time he did, I said to him, It is not fit for me to think of remarrying. My husband went to seek the remedy you asked for, and for all I know, he may be alive. How can I marry you? But the Khan would repeat, No, your husband is dead. He died long ago. So the last time he came, I said to him, Show me my husband's bones if you want me to believe you. When I see them, I will know what answer to make. This made him very angry, and he ordered all our herds and belongings to be taken from me. Now there is nothing left to us but this kibitka. When the archer heard what his wife had to say, he fell into a great passion. Let us go to the Khan, cried he. I will punish him for his treachery and lawless ways. They made for the Khan's palace, and when they were a little distance away from it, the archer stopped waved his magic kerchief and said, Let a palace appear on this spot. And at once a great palace, so tall that it reached to the clouds, and so rich and beautiful that the Khan's palace was a hovel beside it, rose up before him. The archer and his wife came into the palace, and the archer said, Come, Mirza, we are hungry, feed us. Mirza brought them food, and when they had eaten their fill, the archer came out of the palace, and struck the ground with the thin end of his golden stick. The same instant, men, without count or number, armed with bows and arrows, appeared where none had been before. They placed themselves at the palace doors, and awaited the archer's command. Said the archer, Let no one in until I awake and rise from bed. 
Morning came and the Khan servants saw a huge and magnificent palace towering beside his. What miracle is this? asked they. Has the great god Burhan set up this palace in the night or has it been built by the devil? And they ran to Saren Khan to tell him about it. Saren Khan came out and looked at the palace and was overcome with astonishment. What is this? he asked. Never in all my life, as far back as I can remember, have I seen or even heard of such a palace. Who has built it and who lives in it? Go and bring him to me. Away went the Khan's envoys to do as he bade. They came to the archer's palace and asked of the two guards at the door. Whose palace is this, and who are you that guard it? Have you dropped from the sky or sprung up from the ground? But the two guards only frowned. And who are you to ask us so many questions, they asked in menacing tones. We are the envoys of the mighty Sarin Khan. He has commanded us to pass on to him all that we learn about you. Sarin Khan, the guard said, we have never heard of him, nor do we desire to hear of him. We have our own Khan, and he is in this palace right now, sleeping. Be off with you while you still have your head on your shoulders. The envoys were frightened. They went in great haste to Sarin Khan and told him of all that they had seen and heard. And Sarin Khan flew into a rage and began cursing them. I did not send you there to talk with the guards, said he. I sent you to bring me their lord and master. And ordering the two envoys to be severely punished, he summoned two of his best warriors, great tall men, both, and said, Seize the owner of that palace and drag him here to me. The Khan's two warriors came to the palace and tried to open the doors, but the guards thrust them aside. Who are you? Stand back if you value your lives, they cried. Said Sarin Khan's two warriors, we were not sent to speak to you. We were sent to seize the owner of this palace and deliver him to our Khan. And they began trying to break their way into the palace again. But the guards seized them and began thrashing and beating them. That Khan of yours is nothing to us, they cried. We neither know nor wish to know him. And having flogged the Khan's warriors, they drove them away. Limping and groaning, the warriors dragged themselves into Sarin Khan's presence. The guards did not let us into the palace, they said. We cannot hold out against them. Sarin Khan called his Darkhans. Tell me what we should do, he said. A powerful enemy has entrenched himself in that palace yonder. Send your host against him, said the Darkhans. And Sarin Khan at once ordered his host to be mustered and brought before him. Let every man who can so much as hold himself up on horseback come at my call, said he. Sarin Khan's captains mustered his host and brought it before him. There were thirty-three regiments in all, and they surrounded the archer's palace and stood round it in thirty-three rows. Come out while the sun shines overhead and measure your strength with ours, the heralds cried. The archer heard the challenge and opening his window, leaned out of it. Who are you? Why have you gathered here? he called. And the warriors replied, We are the host of the mighty Zarin Khan. Said the archer, I am no enemy to Zarin Khan. 
nor am I his friend. I live in my own palace and do not want war with him. But if Sarin Khan wishes to do battle, then let him say so openly, and fight him I will. I wish to do battle, cried Sarin Khan. At this the archer came out of his palace and struck the ground with the thick end of his golden stick. The same instant so many mounted warriors appeared before him that they could neither be counted nor taken in at a glance. Every warrior was clad in shiny armor and each had a sword in his hand. The warriors lifted their swords and cried, What is your command, archer? You are to do battle with the host of Zarin Khan the archer said, and the warriors moved forward and closed with the host of Zarin Khan. Then the archer struck the ground with the thin end of his golden stick, and archers without count or number armed with bows and arrows appeared before him. They raised their bows and said, What is your command, archer? You are to do battle with the host of Zarin Khan, the archer said, and the archers lined up behind the horsemen. Sarin Khan's host wavered and fell back under the onslaught, and the archer's host pressed on, smiting and slaying. The battle had begun in the morning, and by evening there was no one left to fight against. The archer's warriors were about to seize Sarin Khan himself, but he leapt to the ground from his horse and ran to the archer's palace, crying for mercy. Said the archer to his men, Do not kill him, but bring him to me alive. I wish to speak to him. The warriors seized Sarin Khan by his arms and legs and dragged him to the archer, and Sarin Khan prostrated himself before him. In his fright he failed to recognize him and begged him to have mercy on him and to spare his life. The archer burst out laughing. Never fear, said he, I will not kill you. You wanted to fight and I fought. Now I desire you to join me at table. Come, Murza, we are hungry. Give us food and drink. At once the flowered cloth unrolled, the foods and drinks appeared, and the archer began to regale the Khan, offering him now one dish and now the other. Said the archer, I have heard that there is an archer in your realm who is young, handsome, and strong as he is brave. Where is he? I wish to see him. That is not possible, Sarin Khan replied. Not possible? But why? the archer asked. Because he is dead. Can it be true? I have heard that he is alive and well. He went off no one knows where to seek no one knows what, Sarin Khan replied, and he should have been back long ago. Since he is not, he must be dead. But who sent him? No one knows where and why, the archer asked. No one did. He went off of his own free will. Why, I do not know, replied Sarin Khan. At this the archer became very angry. I said that I would spare your life, but so shameless a liar deserves to die, said he. It was you who sent away the archer, and all because you wanted to take his wife from him. At first you pretended to be ill and told him to bring you the milk of a tigress, and when he did, you sent him, no one knows where, to seek no one knows what. Look at me closely, and if you are not completely blinded by fear, you will see that I am that very archer. I was far, far away, no one knows where, and have brought back with me that which has no shape and no form. I am alive and well. You did not succeed in your evil design. 
In all justice, I ought to kill you. Sarin Khan shook with fear and fell at the archer's feet. He crawled on his knees before him and besought him to spare his life. The archer thrust the Khan aside with his foot and said, You have done much evil, but I will not kill you. Yet I will not tolerate your presence here. Be off with you at once and keep far away from this realm, so that no one here will ever see you more. I thank you for this favor, said Sarin Khan, and taking his family with him, left never to return. As for the brave archer, he and his wife made their home in the self same camp, and they lived happily ever after. In the Great Khan's Tent is now available on coffee. If you are interested in supporting this podcast, please click on the link available on our many social media platforms or email us. Why not donate to our coffee to show your appreciation? Every bit helps and we thank you for your continued support. We love that our listeners love listening to us. Welcome to the vocabulary section for this episode. First, let's look at some of the terms used in this episode. Deyanchi means hermit. Soles are a species of flowering plant. The fruits are black with purple-bluey waxy bloom. They are thin-fleshed with a very strong astringent flavor when fresh. Murza, a hereditary nobility among the Tatars. Kadak, a long silken kerchief. Kumis, a drink made of fermented mare's milk. Stung to the quick, to deeply emotionally hurt or offend one. Hovel, a small, squalid, unpleasant, or simply constructed dwelling. Burkhan, Turkified name of the Buddha, but also used in shamanistic nomenclature. Now let's look at some of the vocabulary used in this episode. Prostrating, lay oneself flat on the ground, face downward, especially in reverence or submission. Dainty, delicately small and pretty. Braggart, a person who boasts about achievements or possessions. Treachery, betrayal of trust, deceptive action or nature. Thrashing, a heavy defeat of a sporting opponent. Mustard. Assemble troops especially for inspection or in preparation for battle. Regiments, a unit of army and divided into several companies, squadrons, batteries, and often in two battalions. Host, a large number of people or things. Wavered, become unsteady or unreliable. Onslaught, a fierce or destructive attack. Smiting, strike with a firm blow. Be sought, ask urgently and fervently to do something, implore or retreat. Self same, exactly the same. This episode has been written, edited and produced by Saf Big. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day and or night. And may the journeys on which you are set upon be fruitful. Thank you for listening.